I'm Rhonda Novak for the Mail Tribune and Rosebud Media. This is the Literary Gardener for September 16, 2021. This episode is the first in a series of podcasts called Women's Work with Plants in the Rogue Valley. I'll be talking with a variety of extraordinary local women who are in some way increasing access to gardens, gardening, plants, or healthy plant-based foods. Today, I'm talking with Mary Foster, who has been instrumental in creating several community gardens in our area. She's been the chair of the Community Garden Network for several years, which is aimed at bringing together people involved in community gardens throughout Jackson County. Welcome, Mary. Thank you, Rhonda. It's a pleasure to be with you. Let's begin with your background work with teens at the Jackson County Shelter Home for 25 years. So these were kids, it, it, the, the, it was um, in a little cottage, which was right behind the Southern Oregon ESD in Talent, right on the highway. And I would have kids who lived in the Jackson County Shelter Home, which was just a, a little walk away, um, for you know a short period of time or sometimes for their whole like, for instance, seventh grade. So I had kids between the ages of 10 and 17 who came from all kinds of, um, you know, pretty chaotic lives and, and tough, tough lives. And while they were at the shelter, um, the, the shelter had kind of changed hands, and they were being fed food that was being prepared by the prisoners at the jail downtown and trucked over to the shelter home. And the kids would complain about everything on the plate. So I said, you know, we've got this bit of property here. So we wrote a grant, and we got a big greenhouse at the ESD, and the kids began to grow a lot of food in the in the greenhouse and then plant it. We created gardens out in the yard. We made um, a nice patio. And interestingly enough, it's burned down now, but that property used to be the, the Jackson County poor farm, you know, around the Depression time. Uh-huh. So we made that garden to be kind of like, if you were if you were at the poor house at the poor farm, what would your garden look like? So we use cattle um, panels, you know, like hog wire for trellises, and we use a big cattle uh, stock um, uh, tank for a pond. And then we did all these raised beds. And so the kids, by growing things, I thought it was really important for them to learn how to nurture things because they hadn't really had a lot of nurturing in their own life. So that's kind of how we got started. I got started with doing a lot of gardening, and, and that, that went on for quite a long time. We, um, we would do, like, feasts so that we would study countries and for geography, and then we would the kids would get the produce that we had grown and look up recipes, and then they would make food from those countries. We also had, like, a soup kitchen where the employees at the ESD would come to the back door with a bowl and a spoon, and they would get a big scoop of soup and a, and a muffin that the kids had baked and, and that they had made the soup from our produce again from the, the garden. So, And we even had a coffee shop because it was the poor farm. We called it No Bucks. Oh, I love <laughs> so that. So that that's kind of how we started with gardening, or I did anyway. What a great pro 
program, both for the kids at the shelter and for people in the community. Now, Mary, how did that experience lead to your involvement in creating community gardens in our area? So I, I had learned a little bit about, through going to some conferences where I learned about horticultural therapy, and part of that, I learned about community gardens and how wonderful community gardens are um, for a neighborhood that maybe um, doesn't have a lot of uh, grocery stores nearby, people that live in apartments and so forth. So um, I just thought it would be another great project for the kids at the shelter. And so we, we made a lot of contacts with different cities, but the one that really landed in our lap was the Blue Heron Park that was going in in Phoenix at the time. And so the kids did help with the design. It's a huge piece of property there um, at, at the Blue Heron Park. And there was nothing there at that point. There was no All the infrastructure was was a like a road that went down into it. And I think that's where they were going to have basketball courts. So we made this big, huge garden with 20 by 20 plots. And I think there were 20 of them. The kids installed the irrigation. Um, community members came forth and helped us with that, with their tractors and backhoes and whatnot. Um, the kids built a deer fence um, that, that has really done a good job keeping the deer out. It's pretty remarkable. Um, and so, you know, and they also, before we did that, they went around to those apartment houses and trailer parks that were around that empty field, and they asked the people who live there, if, you, if we put in this garden, would you be interested in having a plot? And if so, what would you grow? And some of the kids had to, you know, were really good at speaking Spanish, so that really helped us in that regard. And, and some, of the parents, some of the people said, oh, yes, I'll grow, you know, all these vegetables. And one woman said, I just want flowers for my table. So that was so special. So we started that one. And from that, then, I kind of got my, you know, feet wet at doing that project. And when other ones came about, we started the Community Gardening Network, too, and other projects came about. So we started one at Union Park in Medford in a pretty pretty tough neighborhood, and um, that was, you know, very successful. A lot of, again, community comes together when you're putting this in. And then we started one also at the, fifth, at the corner of Fifth and Ivy um, in Medford. So, um, you know, that's been, and then the Community Gardening Network came about because I think it was through, like, Access and Master Gardeners, we were all interested in trying to pull together the people who work in community gardens and especially those who manage them because that can be a pretty lonely job. And so we've, we've done that. We've pulled these people together, and that's been ongoing ever since then. Wow. So the Community Garden Network really is to help bring the various people who are at these different community gardens in our area together for education or socializing or? or... Absolutely education. Um, and then that's why the Master Gardeners is, is a big piece of that because that's one of our goals is to, you know, go out and educate the public on gardening. Um, so we'll have different speakers will come in. A lot of sharing between, again, it's, it's mainly the, the, the managers or the people that are, that are really, um, you know, spearheading the, the work at the garden. And, and so they'll talk about, you know, the pros and cons, the, the things that have worked for them, the things that have not been so successful. Um, they will, you know, talk. And then the other thing that's nice about it is if somebody, um, if one of the gardens <clears throat> is full, 
you know, and has a waiting list, they can communicate with another garden that might have some openings, that, you know, for their plots. So that's another piece that, and they'll, and also they can share big, big tools like um, shredders or um, rototillers if they want to use that. So, so it's kind of a, you know, a combination of a lot of things. But education, I would say, is probably the, the center of it. Is the community garden network involved in the uh, the grants that are provided to community gardens? Absolutely. So I'm the chairperson for that grant committee, and every year, Master Gardeners um, gives, and it's changed the prices. The, the prices, <laughs> the amount has changed. Um, you know, depending on how much Master Gardeners has taken in that year from sure. their different projects. But we do, um, we do, you know, have applications that come in. We review them, and then we usually we're able to give about three gardens some of the money that they're asking for. This last year, we gave the whole amount, which I think was maybe fifteen, maybe $2,000, to Blue Heron Park because their garden had burned down in the Almeida fire. Right, and I recently talked with Sandy Wine, who is the yes. garden manager at Blue Heron Community Garden, and I got to visit the garden after it has been rebuilt. Of course, we just um, had the one-year anniversary of the Almeida fire, which pretty much right. destroyed the community garden. But really, when I was there, so much has been rebuilt. And Sandy mentioned the, uh, you know, the, the grant that she got from the uh, Community Garden Network and ja Jackson County Master Gardener Association. And you can hardly tell that the, the fire was there now. I know, and Sandy's amazing. She's been with that garden for quite a few years, and as I said, I mean, she's the one who really keeps that garden going, and, and I would say it's the best one in the valley. It's pretty pretty amazing. You know, another thing I'll just mention real quick that came through the Community Gardening Network, and that was um, the uh, Seed to Supper program in Jackson County. So I went to, again, it was a community gardening um, conference, American Community Gardening Association conference in Port in Seattle, actually, and there were some people from Portland there from the food bank who talked about Seed to Supper. And Seed to Supper is a an educational um, program. I think there's maybe 10 to 15 lessons that take place usually during the winter, like in maybe a library or a community center, and it teaches people, um, and usually people maybe low-income people, how to grow their own food. And so we connected at the, in the beginning of this with a lot of the housing authority um, um, developments. And each of them, interestingly enough, had a small little community garden. So they would teach the class right in their community center, right at their, house, you know, at their um, uh, apartment complex. And then they were able to go out you know, in spring and actually practice in their own garden. So now Seed to Supper is an ongoing program. Master Gardeners um, runs it now, and it's, it's a very wonderful, successful program. Wow, just all kinds of programs geared for increasing access to gardens. Now, I know yeah. that the community gardens in our area have been uh, facing some challenges with uh, COVID and the smoke and the heat. Um, speak to that, if you will. Well, you know, it's kind of slowed us down as far as getting together. Usually <clears throat> in the summer, we will have um, community gardening tours 
or we will, um, you know, go to one, have our meetings in, in particular gardens so we can visit and, and check out what people are doing in the garden. And of course, with COVID, it's almost like it feels like two years now, it's been slowed us down quite a bit. Um, and the same with the heat. I know in my own garden at home, I've had tons of trouble with, um, with growing anything this year. It's just miserable. And then besides, it's hard to be out there and even working in it. So, you know, personally, it's been hard for me. And community garden-wise, you know, and the water is always an issue, too. Most of them provide the water, you know, city water from wherever they're located. <clears throat> but I know there's some restraints on that. So I think there's lots of challenges. I did notice that the American Community Gardening Association had their meeting, I think it was in Virginia this year, and one of the topics was growing um, food and in a community garden um, with climate change. And so I think those are things we're all going to have to start paying a lot of attention to. Absolutely. Very, very important topics. So mm -hmm. let's, let's move forward to your current project, you are working on installing an Islamic garden at the mosque in Talent. That's exciting. It's really exciting. And, and actually, again, this is the result. So that, that um, mosque is on Highway 99 in Talent, and it also suffered a little bit. The building didn't burn down. However, mostly everything around it did. Um, but, the, but the landscape did get scorched and burned. And so <clears throat> when we put the mosque in, I think it's about seven years ago when we built it there, we, I think I wasn't really that much of a, a part of that, but they did just kind of put in basic landscape, sh basic shrubs, lots of the same thing, boring kind of, but just to, to get it so that it would pass the permit in the city. So with the fire, it's almost like, hmm, this is a little phoenix coming out of the fire that I'm given this opportunity because I've always wanted to put in an Islamic garden, which means I want to use plants that are mentioned in the Quran or in the sayings of the Prophet, which we call Hadith or Sunnah. And so there are so many of them, and it's been such a fun project for me to do all this research about what are the plants that are mentioned in the Quran and the Sunnah. And um, so I'm, I'm busy finding those plants. Some of them are more obscure than others. Um, will they grow here? That's, that's another piece of it. So it's, it's really been great. And our community has come together so much to, um, to clear the front, because we had lawn in the front. And we said, we're not going to water a lawn anymore, so to remove that lawn. We've put a little playground there for kids, but all around it, surrounding it, will be all these plants. And, and trees, and, they, and we'll have signs that will say, you know, what the plant is, um, <clears throat> where it's mentioned in the Quran, and then who do, who donated it, because that has really helped with people wanting to donate, because they'll do it in the, you know, in their parent's name or somebody who's passed away in memory of somebody. So that's um, that's another piece, but it'll be educational for everybody too. Wow, what a great idea! Tell us some of the particular plants that you'll have in the garden. So we have pistachios and we have pomegranates. The pistachios are interesting because I got those at Shooting Star um, uh, Nursery, and I was only going to buy one because I just thought, well, you know, just have it, just have it there, so people can see it. It doesn't have to really have pistachios on it. But they told me, oh, you have to have two, a male and a female, to get any nuts 
do? I said, oh, I'll just do one. So as I'm taking that one, after I purchased it, out to the car, they came running after me and said, here, take the other one. Yeah. So they <laughs> donated that. So, so that's really neat. So we have pistachios. Pomegranates do really well. I grow them in my own garden here at home. Um, it takes a few years to get any fruit, but again, we, that's pretty wonderful. There's two of those. We have an olive, of course. Grapes. We're gonna, we built a pergola, and so we're going to grow the grapes up over that pergola. We have an apple tree, a pear tree, two hibiscus, an almond, a little palm tree that won't give us dates, unfortunately, because dates are a really big deal in the Quran, but we won't have we won't have fruit, but we'll have the palm tree. We have three figs. One of them burned to the ground during that fire and has come back amazingly. It's just oh, it's wow. amazing. In the Quran, it talks about all these things, and then it also talks about that paradise, which we call Jannah, is also going to be so fragrant. So we have roses, and we have star jasmine, um, and hibiscus. We have other things that are going to really bring a lot of, of um, wonderful scents to the garden. Oh, we wow. also have a little water. Um, I would love to have a big water feature, but we only have a little fountain that is kind of has a moon shape, and it lights up. I got it at the Grange, so that's going to be really special, because water, again, is... When you're talking about, you know, the Quran coming out of a very harsh, um, hot, very little water area, the Middle East, water is a huge, huge thing. In fact, they talk about in the Quran that, that heaven will be a, a garden under which rivers flow. So you're going to have constant water. Right. Uh, and then we have pumpkin, which doesn't seem like it would be something that would be mentioned in the Quran, but in the Sunnah, it's, it's mentioned as being one of the Prophet Muhammad's, peace be upon him, favorite foods. <laughs> so we have pumpkin. Wow. I, not only is your garden beautiful and it smells wonderful, but it also produces food. I bet you the other people at the mosque are very excited about this. They really are. We even grew chickpeas, which I've never grown before, and you have to grow fields of them to really get much. But um, people are happy about that. And another thing that we're growing is a, um, a perennial, which you're probably familiar with, nigella, that blue nigella. Yes. And it's called black cumin, and, and the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, said those black seeds, you know how it goes to a pod, and then you get all those black seeds. And yes. That's, that's what we call it is black seed. He said black seed will cure anything but death. <laughs> so we have a lot of that, you know, starting around too. So that'll be, and they're beautiful, that blue flower. Is oh, blue. it is. Most people will be familiar with love and a mist, the common name. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Wow. Right. Oh, fantastic. Mary, you have done so much work with building community-oriented gardens. Um, our area is so much uh, benefited from the work that you do. Why, why do you think community gardens are so important? Well, you know, they're important for the food aspect of it, of course. That's, you know, that's kind of a no-brainer. People who don't have, like we said, access to a lot of food um, or fresh produce near them can grow their own food. But there's a bigger piece of that, and that is the people who, um, for instance, m might be a refugee from, let's just say, Afghanistan. Um, they are able to somehow find seeds and grow plants that are important in their cooking and in their culture. Um, at the Blue Heron Community Garden, we had 
park next door and just kind of walk through. And one day a, a woman walked through and she saw these herbs growing and she got so excited and she said, um, can I have some of those? And I said, well, no, no, you can't have any of those because they belong to this guy who, you know, who's growing them. But I can give you his name. He's from El Salvador. Well, she was from El Salvador. And I guess that plant is a really particular herb used in cooking from El Salvador. So again, it's just it's the, the, the whole sense of home, that you bring a little bit of home with you. We've had people at the garden who've gone back you know, to visit in, let's say, Guatemala, and they come back and they've smuggled a little bit of seeds with them that they're going to put in the garden to, to bring back home to them. And then the second aspect, and this is even maybe more important than the food, is the sense of community. At the Blue Heron Community Garden, I managed it for five years after we built it. The sense of community, people who had just moved here, or seniors who lived in some housing where they didn't really know a lot of people or didn't have a lot of connection, they get in that garden, and all of a sudden they have new neighbors who have things in common with them, things that they, you know, how do you, how do you make these tomatoes grow? Or, you know, what's the best compost to use? And, and, or will you go water my garden while I go on vacation? So it's, it's just that sense of community. And we would have monthly, we call them fiestas. So we would do poetry readings under the full moon. Or we would do, um, I'm trying to think what else we would do, different, just different celebrations, you know, harvest celebration or planting celebration. So that, that brings them to get people together in a sense of community. Wow. So they're really, really important. I wish we could make one in every single, well, you know, we almost do have them in every town in, in southern Oregon. Yeah. Yeah, we, we definitely need them. Now, who are some women in our area who have inspired your work, Mary? Well, I would think, you know, I love to go to the growers market, and, um, and I think that Susie Fry and the Fry Family Farm does a fabulous job of, of um, providing organic, beautiful, and pretty much affordable um, produce to all of us. So Susie Fry is one of my heroes. And along with her is my dear friend Joan Thorndike at La Mera Gardens. She uh, kind of um, works with Susie in that she does organic uh, flower farming and on some of Susie's pro um, properties, too. And so, um, you know, this is, it's called slow, slow flower farming. And, and instead of just, you know, you spray a lot of poison and you have flowers that don't have any bees or anything, but they don't smell, they probably killed all the bees, but they don't smell great either. Where La Mera and, um, and Joan Thorndike have made these wonderful flowers that, um, that are, again, affordable and really, really beautiful. And then I go every year, if I can, up to Seattle to the Northwest Flower and Garden Show, and I'm inspired by several women who I've um, come to know from doing from going there, and one of them is Marianne Benetti. So she's a syndicated writer. I think she writes for Seattle Times and probably several other papers. Um, and she's a presenter there every year. And I just love it because some people are pretty formal and they wait, they get introduced, and then they do their thing, and then they leave. You go into one of Marianne's um, um, uh, sections, sessions, I should say, and she doesn't wait to be introduced. She's 
while people are getting seated, she's already answering their questions and telling jokes. That's the thing is she's so hilarious. So she's one of my, you know, favorites. Another one is Sharon Lovejoy. Um, she's a gardening grandmother now who's written many books on fun things to do with kids in the garden. And she's in Cambria and in her front yard in California, she has a lot of edibles that she encourages her neighbors to come by and just take little samples of. And, and then, of course, I love, love, love Alice Waters, who um, developed the edible schoolyard in Berkeley. And I've written, you know, been there many times. I've read all, everything she's ever written. So she's, she's just definitely one of my favorites. So many wonderful women working in the world of plants. Well, yes. Mary Foster, a, definitely a huge asset to our area. Thank you so much for the work that you do. Thank you so much. Oh, my goodness. And, it, you know, it's, it's not a one-man show. A lot of people are, are also a part of this.